In this podcast, we are joined by Jenny Warmington, Jade Monk and Natasha Upton, who talk openly about having a disability in the workplace. People with long-term health conditions and disabilities are protected under the Equality Act 2010. The Act also states that a person discriminates against a disabled person if they treat that person unfavourably because of something arising in consequence of their disability and they cannot show that the treatment is a proportionate means of achieving a legitimate aim. Under the Equality Act, employers and organisations have responsibility to make sure that disabled people can access jobs, education and services as easily as non-disabled people. This is known as the duty to make reasonable adjustments. So hi, I'm Jen Warmington. I'm EDO champion for the Clinical Research Network and in my day job I'm a pharmacy technician. But um, I'm here on this podcast because I identify as having a disability. I have um, an ileostomy which is a stoma that comes out of my skin and my tummy and I wear a bag that collects my poop in that um, and it's something that I live with all the time. It is classed as a disability um, um, and I want to bring that to everybody's attention. It's important to talk about things like this. So that's why I'm here. So hello everybody. Hi there, I'm Jade. I also work for the CRN as a workforce development facilitator and I'm on it here to talk about my neurodiversities. Um, I was diagnosed with dyspraxia and dyslexia whilst I was at university and I think it's just a really important issue to highlight, especially in the workplace and also how it affects people outside of the workplace as well because it's, it's not just something that affects you temporarily, it's something that affects you all the time. So I think it's just a really good opportunity to discuss um, signs, symptoms, um, what where you can go to get help and information as well. Hi, I'm Natasha. I work in the study support service as a study support assistant. Um, I've come along today because I have a hearing disability. It's a degenerative hearing condition that will get progressively worse as I get older. Um, I was only diagnosed in my early 20s, so it's not something I've lived with all my life. It's been during my working life that I've had to learn how to deal with this. So that's why I've come along today. Um, thank you. Um, so how would you say your disabilities um, and neurodiversity impact you at work? So um, having a disability such as a stoma is quite, well, like, like actually most of our disabilities it is an invisible disability it's not like I'm a wheelchair user or there's something very obvious when you look at me to tell you that I have a disability it's something that I can hide and do hide quite um quite often because it's something that's not really spoken about things to do with the toilet things to do with poop things to do with bowel habits they're not something that is readily discussed it's not a topic of conversation that people feel comfortable with and it does affect me at work. It affects um, m- uh, every part of my um, of my life. Um, it can be really simple things that like I can be sat in a meeting and my stomach can make a noise. <laughs> I can't do anything about it. There's absolutely nothing I can do about it. And it's one of those awkward things where people just kind of look around uncomfortably and I shift around and I say, sorry, that was my stoma. And we carry on. Or it can be something like um, I've been in situations where I need to travel 
um, and I've had to use public transport and I've had a leak in my bag. Um, and that is, it's devastating when that happens. It's also happened in a meeting that I've been at. Um, in When I've travelled to trusts, it's happened a couple of times. I'm making out as though it happens all the time. It doesn't. It just has happened in a workplace. But another way that it affects me as well is sometimes um, I get a lot of pain in the night. It, I get woken up at all times of the, the night with pain in my stomach and I sometimes have leaks in the middle of the night and that can affect my work the next day because I'm exhausted. I can literally have three or four hours sleep in a night because I've had to get up and change a bed and have a shower and the rest of it. So it does have it does affect my work. It absolutely does. Um, the way my neurodiversity affects me at work is that sometimes I have to ask people to repeat a question because sometimes I don't fully understand what it is in the question that they're asking. So sometimes it can take me just a bit longer to process what they're actually asking me. Um, it can also affect my time management skills because time slips away quicker than I realise. Um, my coordination, it can affect my posture. So working at home, um, it can make my posture worse, obviously, because you haven't always got the, the best equipment whilst you're based at home. So that can make my posture worse. I can also be oversensitive over to light and sound as well. So if I'm working in an office and my laptop's underneath a bright light, I won't be able to work or focus properly. So I do have to be careful with where I sit in an office. Um, I can get easily distracted and it can take me a bit longer to complete tasks as well. So it, it affects me in so many different ways. It, and it always has got like growing up. Like I never realised the fact that it took me longer to learn how to tie my shoelaces, to learn the alphabet. It all was actually down to dyspraxia. And I never realised until I was diagnosed with it at university. And now it's a, a thing that affects me both at work and it affects me at home. Like Jen said, it's a it's a hidden disability because no one would look at you and think, oh, that person has problems for focusing, with concentration, with posture, and all sorts of things like that. So it's it's quite amazing how it can affect you. Dave, can I just ask what's dyspraxia? I know I know what dyslexia is. What's dyspraxia? Um, with dyspraxia, it's um, actually caused by like the disruption of messages that's passed between the brain and the body. So you can have, um, usually it's mostly movement and coordination problems, and it's also known as developmental coordination disorder. Um, and usually it presents at a young age, but I think as I was growing up, neurodiversity wasn't that well known, to be fair. I think it's only in recent years that we are becoming aware and of all the different neurodiversities out there. So it can affect all sorts of things. So it can affect your gross motor coordination skills. So it can be um, difficulty coordinating body movements. It can be your fine motor coordination skills. So it can be anything to do with like gripping a pen properly or using equipment. I also get my left and right mixed up. Even though I know perfectly well what my left and right are, my brain just does not compute it to to my my thoughts and how I process them because I know what it is I just can't when I'm about to go left or right I'll still go the wrong way <laughs> it's it's really frustrating especially on my driving test but my instructor was like yeah don't worry if you go the wrong way you'll just take you on a different route 
that, that's really interesting because um, I, I work with you quite closely, um, quite often, mm -hmm. and it's something that I just wasn't aware of. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, okay. very interesting. Yeah, for me, um, hearing loss affects obviously everything day to day. Um, you know, working from home, I always have headphones in because to have the volume up so high it would cause an echo for everyone else on the call so that can cause me a bit of problems with constantly wearing headphones um it's not too bad otherwise working from home i find that easier than working in a busy environment because i can reduce the noise that's around me um but going out since we've sort of like started going to face-to-face -face meetings and you know events and things i've realized how much a struggle it actually was in an office or in a busy environment because you don't hear that well and you can't you know pick apart what's going on around you um i do wear a hearing aid but i don't think it's that obvious to people people don't always see it and even if you tell them because it's not so obvious they forget and then you don't want to keep reminding people you know i didn't catch what you said can you say it again can you be a bit louder um and not all the venues that we use have hearing loops which if there's a hearing loop, I can switch my hearing aid to pick up from the hearing loop and I hear better, but not all the venues have that. So yeah, I think it's really important that we're considering people's needs and people's disabilities when we're putting on events or even face-to-face -face meetings, um, because you just, you just like say it's hidden, you don't know what's going on for people, you can't see these disabilities often. Absolutely. So I know... Oh, sorry. No, uh, um, so I know some of you, um, well, you've all covered um, how it can affect you in terms of like outside of work. Um, what would you say your um, good and bad experiences in work have been in connection to your disabilities? Um, so for me, um, I've, I've always had quite good experiences um, in, in work. Um, I, example of that is um, uh, BRP the offices in Birmingham um, they are they have really good toilet facilities and I can do things like I can leave a spare bag and a spare um, change of clothes and things like that in the offices there people are open for me doing that but um, if I'm traveling around and going to different venues do you know what? I can never travel light because I, I generally have to take a change of clothes with me um, or at least a change a bag with me, um, and so that if there, if we if we've got um, a venue that's not very geared up to having like disabled toilets or places for you to change and things like that, or if I've got to travel quite far, then that can be something that I struggle with. Um, not all disability toilet, you know, like accessible toilets are are actually good for stoma use. If they haven't got a shelf in the mirror. Um, then they're no good for me. They they might be okay if you're a wheelchair user or something like that, but they're no good if you've got a stoma. They're not all you know, good for stoma users. So and it's, it's just about really making sure that um, people know that if, if I'm having a difficult time or having a difficult day and being open and honest about it, if my stoma's making noises or whatever, I'd, gone are the days when I'm embarrassed about that anymore. I'm quite open and honest about it. I have to check in with myself sometimes and remember that not everyone likes to talk about poop because it's something that I don't have an issue with talking about it's part of my daily life so yeah but that's just me 
Jay. I think I've had mostly positive experiences whilst I've been in the NHS. There's been a couple of occasions where I've been working in a trust and the computer but all sat under has been under a bright slight light and I haven't been able to focus but the manager's been really understanding and has allowed me to work elsewhere or allowed me to wear earphones if it's too noisy and it's distracting me so I've had mostly a positive experience and I've had a lot of understanding managers who you know if I've needed the information written down instead of being told it verbally just so I can have a bit more time to process it I've been given that time well I have had negative experiences outside the NHS um with it i remember working in greg's and i couldn't make the sandwiches quick enough um and that was all to do with like my my movements um and they threatened me with being sacked so i had to give my notice in at that point so that was linked with my dyspraxia i just couldn't focus i couldn't i couldn't get the into the right coordination to get to be quicker at making the sandwiches so that was a negative experience i've had but um in the nhs it's been mostly positive to be honest for me, um, definitely being in the CRN has been a positive experience. Um, the line managers I've had have been really supportive. Um, but I don't know if that's, as Jen said, you get more used to talking about these things. The longer you live with something, you get less embarrassed about talking about it. Um, uh, like I've had experiences in the past um, within the NHS where I didn't hear someone say something and someone who was mentoring me actually spoke up and answered for me and I was a bit you know thank you for helping me out but it would have been better if you told me and I could have addressed it with that person instead of speaking for me because that makes it like it's an even bigger issue than it actually is you know so there are there are good and people genuinely think they're trying to help but it's not always helpful to just you know go in and take over takes away your independence a little bit if they're doing that sort of thing one thing that I will say is I don't know about um, Jade and Natasha, but it's really helped me um, working from home. The upside, so I don't particularly enjoy working from home full time. I enjoy the office environment. I wish I wish it was a little bit more of that in the workplace. But one thing that I will say is that it helps my disability. It helps me to, um, you know, if I, if, if I need to change or if there's something going on and if I'm in pain and things, it's a lot easier for me to work from home rather than working in an office environment. And also, um, I feel as though I'm incredibly supported by and understood and seen. And, you know, I feel as though my unvalued, my disability does not affect my the way that I'm valued at work. And I feel very lucky in that. But I, I do believe that that's just that's down to the team that I work with and their understanding. Um, we work in the NHS, we work in a, a healthcare setting. And what kind of healthcare providers would we be if we didn't take the time and energy to understand people's disabilities? Mm. I'm actually interested in something that you've all alluded to, which is that period between... Um, <clears throat> being able to put a label to your disability and becoming comfortable with that yourself and and all the um the intricacies that you've all talked about to the point today where you're quite open and honest about it what's that period of time like if you can cast your mind back to that point of 
adjustment for yourself and also being confident enough to speak openly to get what you need from work it sounds like there's a period of adjustment there and and what's that like in a workplace when you you were trying to come to terms with something yourself and get your needs met when it's all very new if that makes sense yeah um i can honestly say that um it took me ages to come to terms with the adjustments that i had to have when i had my colon removed it was emergency surgery that i wasn't expecting although i was pre i was actually diagnosed with ulcerative colitis afterwards i'd never in my life up until the age of 38 had known that i had ulcerative colitis i got something called a toxic megacolon and my my intestine died over a weekend when i was at work it was emergency surgery um and there was a massive period of adjustment it was life-changing the surgery and what happened to me was utterly life-changing i was devastated um and it took me a long time to adjust to that and also the embarrassment of having to constantly have a bag on my stomach that filled up with poo and i have to change that bag that no matter what you say it's embarrassing people don't like to talk about poo it's not something that is socially acceptable whether that's right or wrong is irrelevant and it wasn't socially acceptable to me i didn't want to be that person and it took ages for me to um come to terms with that but um that that's not necessarily a work thing that was a psychological thing within myself and um work have always been incredibly supportive um and they they offer me counseling i had counseling through work um and i've never struggled in a work environment it's always with myself that the struggle is that's my experience uh, with, i think with my experience it has taken a while i think i'm still adjusting to it to be fair like in the different ways it affects me and what's actually out there to help with with my neurodiversities um i think as it became more and more popular in the media with neurodiversities i remember having a conversation with lisa about it saying you know there is there is no assessments in workplaces you know or it seems to be in our workplace but is is there any assessments available for people who you know are struggling and they might think it's down to having a neurodiversity and i still don't think it's that easy for people to get an assessment to see if they have got a neurodiversity i think it's only through like a private waiting list or if it's through the nhs the waiting lists are just ridiculous so i don't think it's that easy for people to even get the diagnosis i was lucky because i was at university and they paid for everything got me tested um i had the full um assessment and they found i was it's only mild dyslexia and mostly dys, dyspraxia um but yeah it has been a, quite a, a long adjustment period and i'm still getting to grips with it now and my managers have been amazing as well like they've been curious because they didn't really understand what dyspraxia was or you know what the intricacies of dyslexia was and neither did i to be fair with dyslexia i never associated myself with having dyslexia because i've always been quite grammatically accurate so i'm still trying to figure out in which ways my dyslexia is affecting me um so yeah that's how it's how long it's taken me 
Yeah, mine was definitely um, a shock. I just went for a hearing test thinking I'd got a bit of a, you know, a bit of excess wax build up and then to be told you've got this lifelong degenerative condition that is just going to get worse um, when no one in the family has had that, you know, not we didn't know anyone that's got this condition beforehand. Um, but I think my first experiences of the job I was in at the time didn't help because uh, when I went back to work and said, oh, I've been diagnosed with this and people said, oh, is that, you know, that's why you were ignoring us. You weren't ignoring us. And I was like, well, nobody told me that I wasn't answering you. If you'd have told me that you're trying to talk to me, you know, I could have done something about it. And it has happened perhaps once since in another job where somebody commented, oh, I thought you were just rude when you didn't answer me back. And I'm like, but I, you know, it's something I say as soon as I start a new position or I meet someone new, you know, I, I wear a hearing aid, I might not catch everything that you say. And then whose responsibility is it then to remember that? Is it theirs or is it mine to constantly remind them? You do feel like you're being a pest when you're constantly saying, sorry, what did you say? Or can you say that again? Or I didn't quite catch. Uh, what you said so yeah you, it is a quite a period of adjustment and I think you do have to come to terms with it in your in yourself in your own life in your personal life and in your work life mm. and I think if you can get you know the balance and if you get a lot of support within work it does help within your personal life thank you um so in terms of like you've spoken about how it affects you at work um have you declared your uh disability on ESR and if you haven't is there a reason why you haven't declared it thank you Zoe that's a really good question so for anyone that doesn't know ESR is your electronic staff record and there is actually um area on your ESR where you can go and declare yourself as having a long-term illness or um, a disability. And in order for me to know how to answer this, I actually had to go back and look in my own ESR. And the answer is yes, Zoe, I've um, declared myself as having a long-term health condition. I believe that unless you declare this information it's really difficult for you to expect your organization to be able to support you properly there's a saying that goes if you don't count me i don't count um and i feel as though that's quite um that's the case here it's very difficult for them to be able to make provision and for um to, for me to be visible to my organization without that declaration have you recorded your disability on the sr jade uh, no, I haven't. When I first started the job, I don't think I did, just because I was worried that it might affect my chances of getting the job. Um, I think you just get that that stigma, don't you? You know, if you put it down on the form, that you're going to get judged by it sort of thing. Um, but I think as it's became more well known now, I think I wouldn't hesitate to put it on a job application in the future now. I'll definitely declare it. So I feel like there's be a lot more support in place. Because I've been in, I've been in this work for thirteen years. Uh, no, since two thousand and thirteen, ten years in this role, and it just wasn't a thing. It wasn't the thing for you to talk about your disability when on your application and things like that. It, just, it was never like you say, Jade. I I would have been concerned that it would have affected my role. Yeah. I it wouldn't anymore. That things are changing, and good job they are. But that's the reason that I don't tend to fill out personal things like that on application forms because I I 
do worry that they'll affect my chances of getting a job or mm-hmm. anything like that. Definitely, I agree with you there. And I think becoming a line manager as well and learning more about the recruitment process, you actually, I think you actually do realise that it's not a, a negative thing to put on there anymore. Um, well, I don't even think it was a negative thing in the first place. It was just my assumption it was. Um, but yeah, you just, you know, they, they just cater. It's just a bit catering to your needs if you need any adaptations put into place. So, And also it's, it's probably quite important because if the organisation that you work for doesn't know mm-hmm. what kind of disabilities you've got, um, or what your needs are, how can they meet those needs? Exactly. So, so asking me that question, I, I'll probably, it's something that I would do in the future. Mm-hmm. It's just that I haven't until now. For me, it is on my ESR, um, perhaps more because it's a health and safety issue for me. So when I was working in the office, when I first started working in the CRN, um, my line manager had to find out what they needed to do in terms of a personal plan for fire escapes and things like that um because there is always a you know a a chance that if my hearing aid battery fails and i do carry spares but you just never know it you know it might not be the battery it might be something else that if there was a fire alarm and i've got headphones on for example i might not see hear it and if i don't see people leaving the room it's does that you know is somebody going to pick me up and you know not physically pick me up, but make sure that I'm swept out with them. So I think for me, because it's a health and safety issue with things like fire evacuation, we had to do a, a, a plan, a personal plan. So it is on my ESR. Um, on the regards of the same lines of that, um, are you guys familiar with the health adjustment passport that um, is offered through RWT? And is it, if you use it, is it something that you find useful? I don't, I don't know about that. It's not something I've ever used. What about you, Jordan? I've heard about it, but I don't know what it is precisely. Have you yeah, heard, of, I've it? heard of it? I've heard of it, but I haven't got one completed. But I do think it is a good idea. Um, I think perhaps now I'm also working from home. For me, it's not such an issue. But like uh, when we go to face-to-face meetings or events i do make sure i've got a buddy and that buddy knows where i am at all times so that if there is a fire evacuation they can sort of come and find me um but i do think it's a good idea to have it completed um perhaps it's something we should be looking at a bit more within the crn promoting that a little bit more um it is yeah. we, we do have the link we do have the link on the wellbeing site for it don't we lisa we do, yeah, and it is something that all line managers are familiar with. It's been shared with them. It's something you can request. It actually belongs to the individual in terms of what support do you need right now or even in the future um, to support you at work. Um, and then you, it, it kind of forms the basis of having those conversations, having adjustments put in place, as Natasha has explained. But the idea of the passport is that it travels with you. So if you go to um, take up a new role somewhere else, rather than going through the whole conversation, Jen, about your poop and, and what happens and making sure those facilities are available for you, that actually that passport's going between your line managers so that they know what your your needs are and can pick it up immediately and make sure that that transition is a smooth one. So I don't have to have poo conversations. Okay. 
You might still have to have them, but at least um, some of the information has passed along. But yes, we do have them. Um, as Zoe pointed out, there's a there's a link from the wellbeing site, and I'm happy to send it to anyone that gets in touch anyway. Um, so within your working careers, have you ever had to request reasonable adjustments um, from your line managers? Um, in terms of reasonable adjustments, I've kind of uh, managed those myself. I've never had to really request anything from my manager. They're kind of done through my return to works and things like that, because one thing that has affected my career, there's no doubt about it, is the amount of time that I have had to have off work. Um, in the 10 years um, from my first surgery to this year I've had to have five really major surgeries so it's like one every two years and each one of those has meant like an extended period in hospital extended period of recovery and although I've been 100% supported I myself it has affected my career in the fact that I have not put myself forward for things I have not I've not felt that um I could put that on my team or um that i would be right for a specific role or something like that because i worry in case what happens if i've got a blockage and in june this year i was absolutely shocked i literally woke up seven o'clock in the morning one morning with um out of the blue i i had terrible stomach ache ended up me uh, my wife calling an ambulance me having to go to hospital i got sepsis i got a perforation of my bowel I ended up 10 days in hospital having um loads of IV drugs and everything it was totally unexpected how can I put that on my team you know I really struggle with the the thought of um progressing my career because of things like that until I know that I'm on more stable footing I can't do that and that's one way that it massively affects my career and affects my everyday work I constantly think to myself, if I get stuck into this, who would I be able to hand it over to? Who else knows about this? And although it's not something that I'm ever pressured or ever feel as though it affects me from my line manager's point of view or my team, I put that pressure on myself. So that's one way that it most definitely affects my work. Mm. Yeah, I haven't had to have any reasonable adjustments either. I think it's a lot of flexible working times I've always had within the CRN. I think that's just helped massively with my time management because I know I can still get my hours in. Um, even if it means that, you know, I'm losing track of time, I know I'm going to still get my hours in because of the flexibility of what time I can start and what time I can finish. I've always had understanding managers if I've needed a bit more time just to process some information. So, yeah, I've never really had to go to the point of requesting any reasonable adjustments because I've only had to ask for it and it's been done without having to go through like a form filling process. When I started in the CRN, which was back in January 19, um, I had a conversation with my line manager about the access to work, the government scheme for mm -hmm. applying for funds for re reasonable adjustments. Um, so I actually started the process and um, filled in the form and got an email back. But it just seemed like such a long winded process for what we were going to get out of it that we sort of abandoned it. And my line manager just said, tell me the basic equipment you need and I will pay for it out of my team's budget. 
which was really really good and we did that and I got things like a dictaphone to help me in large meetings so that I could record it and listen back you know for writing minutes and things um but yeah so there is a national scheme called access to work but I think there is such a lot of red tape with that scheme unless you need lots and lots of equipment it, for me that feels like more like the physical disabilities where you need lots of adjustments in the workplace rather than just small pieces of equipment that cost you know a couple of hundred pounds or whatever um which is a shame really because it's a government initiative but it's so hard to get through and to get what you need from them but yeah i think the crn's really supportive in that but i think perhaps this access to work is something that we perhaps never just had we've never had to apply to you know the crn's not had much experience with in the past so we didn't really know where we were going with it so we gave up um i know jen you've touched on this um in the last point but um what barriers do you find make your day-to-day -day job difficult if there is any um I would, I would guess that um if i've had a really bad night the night before um that that can that can be quite difficult you know following day if i've got lots of back-to-back -back meetings and if i've got like a really heavy um day where i really need to concentrate that's something that i have to manage on a day-to-day -day basis i have to just accept that sometimes i might just have to say oh look i'm going to have to move this meeting or i'm going to have to adjust my day um luckily i do have the flexibility to do that i have the understanding and and the support of my team and my line managers to do that but it's definitely something that makes my life a little bit difficult and also makes other people's life a little bit difficult last thing people want to be doing is moving meetings around or move, moving working days around and it's not something that i'm i like to do either it's i, all, I kind of feel a little bit hard don't you when i have to do that because i think you know, I just I just want to come to work and get my work done. I want to be um, really good and really efficient and do what I plan to do in my day. And it can be a little bit frustrating to have to um, kind of give in to the pressures and just think to myself, do you know what? You need to make these adjustments and, and get on with it. But it's something that's another thing that I'm kind of, it's a work in progress for me. Anyway, it's something that I'm coming to terms with slowly. What about you, Jade? Um, I think some of the biggest barriers for me at the moment is just because I'm in a secondment, so like delivering the training, I can sometimes lose track of conversations after a while. So because of my poor memory, I sometimes lose track of what's being spoken about. And sometimes I, I struggle to know how to respond or if someone asks me a question directly on the spot, I need quite a bit of time just to process what we've actually asked. And what I actually need to answer with so that, that can be a massive struggle for me day to day um, and just the whole memory thing like Jen said if I've got a day full of meetings it can get very exhausting even more so because of my dyspraxia it, it's a lot to process and keep track of as well um, I'm just trying to think of other barriers as well I think because um, I can get easily distracted as well or lose concentration it can take me a bit longer to complete tasks than than I need to um, so they can usually take me a couple of days instead of sometimes being able to complete it in a day um, which can be a bit frustrating but I think that's just the, the biggest barriers and also as I said earlier working at home 
it makes it a lot easier but sometimes i just have to focus a bit more on making sure my posture's right because with dyspraxia your posture can naturally be worse than others but um apart from that working at home has been a godsend because obviously you're in your own comforts you don't feel as much pressure to to be not be normal but just try and I can't think of a word just try and focus a bit more instead of having to think of what I'm trying to do and then have my neurodiversity trying to complicate things even further so I can really relate to that Jade yeah yeah I agree with what uh, both Jen and Jade have said um for me it's more tiring when I have to go out of the home now to go to a day face-to-face uh, -face meeting or an event because I have to then readjust to the sounds around me and the public transport and then when I'm there I have to concentrate so much more on what's being said you know to catch everything and having the hearing aid volume up louder and yeah that gives me then a headache so then you're tired the next day so yeah I don't think it's necessarily about barriers for me it's just about coping with the differences you know in in the work but that's just life isn't it when you've got a condition like this sometimes you have to just learn to deal with it and get on mm -hmm. um final question for you guys um what what is it you'd say that you need from your colleagues and managers during work hours so like for example if like say if we're playing like another staff event what is it you need to be able to help you get through that day if that makes sense yeah so um not not a lot from me in in the fact that i i just need understanding and i just need um people to get it when i'm really tired and i can't attend something i need people to be understanding when i need to move meetings around or um if if i've um if i've got an unexpected stay in hospital I just need that compassionate understanding, which I have to say that I 100% get. I get that. I I feel as though I am incredibly supported, and I I find that you know this is a very caring working environment. So it's something that I really feel very lucky for. But I don't feel as though there's anything more that I need that I'm not getting at the moment, most definitely. And I also feel as though if there is anything that I need, I feel as though I know who to go to. I know what I could say. And I don't feel as though it would, there would be anything that I could need that I wouldn't be able to have in my, my job. Yeah. I think for me, it'd just be, you know, let me know in advance if it's my team that's going to stand up or if I'm, expected to answer any questions just let me know what the questions will be in advance so I can at least prepare myself a script or something that I know that I'm going to say in advance because like I said I've struggled to answer things if I'm asked on the spot just because I have to process the question and then I have to process what I'm going to say um, so I think that's the main thing for me just let me know any questions that I might be asked in advance really. Yeah I agree with what um both of you have said it's just that preparation so knowing where you're going and what you're going to find when you get there and what the facilities are when you get there um i think we are very good on the whole at the sort of personal level you know and looking after each other and being aware of each other 
particularly the, the people that I have a lot of contact with, you know, within my own team. But yeah, it's just perhaps some of those like, you know, those wider issues of access. Um, Jen's already mentioned, you know, good disabled toilet facilities here in Nope, I've mentioned as well. Um, so yeah, it's just perhaps being a little bit more mindful of what the environment is like rather than what the people that we're with is like. One thing that I would like to say is that um, we've made, I, I feel as though I've kind of put a bit of a negative spin on some things. Living with a disability is not, I, I feel as though having a stoma is kind of a superpower for me. Um, it allows me to talk about subjects that other people feel uncomfortable with. I, I can talk to other people that have stomas. I can talk about my own condition very freely. And it also pushes me to um, do things that are slightly out of my comfort zone um, because I'm very stubborn and I don't like to be felt, I don't ever like to think that there's something holding me back or stopping me. Um, and so in my personal life, I do push myself to do things. There's nothing that I've ever wanted to do, including like um, jumping into rivers off rock faces and things like that. I've done it all. It doesn't stop me at all. I, it's just that, um, Every now and again, it might just stop me in my tracks. It just, as a general thing, it doesn't stop me. And it's actually a superpower. It's not a negative thing. Thank you, Oh, sorry. Carry on, Jade, sorry. I was just going to say, I think it gives you a tougher skin, doesn't it, Jen? Like, you know, it. like you said, it's a, it's a superpower. It's what makes us unique and function differently and makes us more interesting because, you know, as... There's more to us than just their disabilities. So yeah, fully agree with you and with that. Okay. I'd just like to say thank you guys for being so open and honest during this podcast recording. It's really opened my eyes into more more what goes on behind like you guys, if that makes sense. Like there's more to you than meets the eye, if that makes sense. And it also, it's just kind of a reminder that not all disabilities are, are visible. And it's just always have at the back of your mind um, if somebody is acting a certain way or acting or, or being something that you're not expecting from them. Just take a second and think, it, you know, wonder whether there's a reason um, because it just might be something you don't understand about, that's all. Thank you for listening to The Retreat. Tune in next time for more insights from your colleagues in the West Midlands. If you have an interesting story that you would like to tell, please get in touch.